Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. Hi. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Bejan. And I am your other host, Margot Poupard. Before we get into today's topic, we just wanted to share that last week, you may remember, we launched our Patreon page with our inaugural We're Obsessed with This monthly newsletter. If you become a patron, you'll get access to these monthly newsletters where Margot and I just kind of go on and on about our obsessions. I talked about how sexy candlesticks are, so you know it's going to be great content. <laughs> what was your favorite thing that you got to talk about in this newsletter? The cinematic masterpiece that is malignant. And also, it was quite cathartic for me to have a little farewell montage to all the Halloween costumes I could have been this year, but can't be because I will be at a we- I will be at a wedding Halloween weekend. I appreciated the work you put into that. I appreciate your creativity and I might in your honor use one of those ideas this weekend. I'll think of you. <laughs> Please do the Drew Barrymore one. You already have kind of a a blonde bob. You I'm sure you have a white chunky knit, knit sweater somewhere. I do. And I'm, <gasps> I just I'm sure one. You and I have oh the gosh. same like acid wash fade of Madewell jeans. So I'm all you need to do wearing them as we you, speak. It's like I'm a psychic. Oh uh, I, you God. just need to go to Goodwill and get like the cordless uh, yes. landline phone because that's kind of like the key. And if and like I said in the newsletter, if you want yeah. bonus points, pop popcorn or bring like the little fake like foil kind of yeah. mm-hmm, and I bring just, that with you. Yeah. People love a food component to a Halloween costume. Done. 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 I'm excited. I'm excited. Well, you can see me in my Halloween costume as wedding guest number 52 this weekend. <laughs> Shout out to table seven. <laughs> we, yeah, I'll, I'll update what table we're at. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are interested in our charming content, which will include this monthly newsletter, as well as a monthly bonus episode, you should check out our Patreon page. It costs just $5 to be a patron, which is basically a cup of coffee in these times. So check it out. 
Now we're going to segue into things that we're not as obsessed with as a whole, but more around the, the obsession here is more around how they both got made. It's spooky season, and as we're gearing up for Halloween, we began thinking about what this year's Halloween episode could be about. We've done witch movies. We've talked about teen slashers. We've done sexy teen thrillers. We've even covered the scary movie parody franchise. Today, we're talking about movies that were actually made on purpose, movies whose original source material were both originally released decades ago and then caused two directors to be like, yeah, I can do a solid remake of that movie. Today, we're talking about two bad horror remakes, specifically Gus Van Sant's 1998 remake of Psycho, mm-hmm. and I want to pronounce this correctly, Jaume Cole Sarah's 2005 remake of House of Wax. Before we go any further, I have to say, as somebody who literally just rewatched House of Wax, I got to go to bat and say it's actually not that bad. It's a fun, it's fun. You know, we, we were kind. It was much better than Psycho. So in that regard, I I think the difference is that House of Wax knows what it is and Psycho did not know what it is. So I I have to say, we started from a place of like, oh, they're bad horror remakes. And we were going to talk about, we were initially going to talk about a couple of different movies too, but you know, pleasantly surprised horror remake. Probably because it's not a fucking shot-for-shot remake so that they completely set themselves up for disaster, but you know. Let's have a $60 million student film project, basically, is what that was. Um, I mean, I can't even (laughs) believe that... I can't look at Gus Van Sant's filmography. It makes no sense to me. Absolute chaos chaos agent. Oh, my God. Set to the tune of Danny Elfman's music, of course. Um... (laughs) Marco, as we we just kind of you just kind of alluded to, you've definitely seen House of Wax. I've seen House of Wax. Have you seen the 1998 remake, shot for shot remake of Psycho? I have, yes. Because at first, I mean, well, I was I was actually really, really scared of the marketing materials in 1998 <laughs> because all around Los Angeles on very tall buildings would be this full bleed <laughs> of a blood splattered shower and like a hand on the f- uh, hand on the glass. I was Anne Hache's and I had no real context for it because I mean, I knew that there was like a shower murder scene. I knew it was like a Hitchcock movie as a child, but I wasn't allowed to watch it, but it was yes. just like, and it was everywhere. And at the time my dad was, you know, two years divorced and like a living off, of, like living in West Hollywood, like off of sunset. And so he had this big view. And during the promo of this movie, the big view was of a giant billboard of her, dying essentially in the shower and so I for a long time just like refused to watch this movie but eventually a roommate convinced me that it was very funny and it's it's the end for me when Vince Vaughn comes down the staircase as mother and the wig doesn't even fit his giant fucking dome (laughs) that you're like this movie's a true piece of shit so I've, I've seen the remake once and I feel like everyone's gonna see it at least one time and you can even just find that clip on YouTube but it is worth the rewatch because it's such a fucking weird movie and it was weird to read pieces people like defending it now it's like well it was it was just an experiment I'm like that sounds like something you say after people have ravaged your shit (laughs) 60 million dollar experience 
$60 million experiment. I really, when you told me that there isn't a Blink Check episode about this, I was beside myself. I can't I, fucking believe yes. it. This is prime yes. Blink Check material because I, was, I can't believe yes. this was Gus Van Sant's, this was his fucking dream project Rick, for, for yes. even before Universal approached him about a remake. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. It was, and I double checked after we talked about this because I was like, I, I gotta be, I gotta be, I, I must be wrong here. I have to be wrong. <laughs> and they had a March Madness style tournament against like bad movies a couple years back, but really they've never actually done it. And I say to this, Griffin and Dave, if you are listening to our humble podcast, you should do a Gus Van Sant series. This entire filmography is just, again, chaos. Baffling. Baffling. (laughs) It should honestly, his filmography should just be called Every Wrong Choice. It like makes no fucking sense. (laughs) It makes no sense whatsoever. I just, doing the research here, like I rewatched it because yours truly recently realized I have peacock for free because of my xfinity members or uh, package so now i have access to everything and uh that includes the 1998 psycho remake so i watched it this morning as i was getting ready for my day what an odd tone for the rest of your day (laughs) nothing like sipping some coffee watching vince vaughn try to say anthony perkins Oh my goodness. I know. It's such and it's such an odd performance. And you can tell yes. he's re- he really thinks he did something there and you're like yes. No. Yes. He's he's truly a fucking lumbering presence the entire time. Always. Like, from Always. Jump Street you're like this guy's a fucking weirdo. Like who wouldn't immediately turn on their heels and leave? No. I, I can't wait for you to get into casting because I know what Vince Vaughn's filmography looks like at this point. And I'll have so many things to say around that point. But for now, I'm just going to kind of get into Psycho, which has a 39% Rotten Tomatoes score. Okay, that is egregious. That's higher than House of That's Wax. Higher. And that makes no sense. It's 39. bullshit. I mean, it's because I guess- men are trash and they would rather give Paris, a movie starring Paris Hilton, a lower score than to have to admit that this is complete trite. I mean, the patriarchy is the real villain here, isn't it, ladies? Ladies, am I right? <laughs> ladies, am I right? This Luckily, one is for the girls, as this they say. One's, as Martina McBride, country singer <laughs> of my dreams, once said, this one's for the girls. Um, 28% audience score. So there's a little okay, bit of redemption okay. there. Justice there's a bit of redemption. is served. Justice. That's right. That's right. <laughs> What does a man do after finding major award-winning and acclaimed success with his first mainstream movie release? If you're Gus Van Sant, coming off the heels of Goodwill Hunting, a film that was nominated for nine Oscars, made $225 million on a $10 million budget, and launched the careers of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, you go after your pet project and you write that blank check for $60 million. What does that pet project look like, Margot? What do you think it looks like? Okay, apparently your pet project looks like Vince Vaughn wearing a wig that does not fit him. <laughs> that is correct. For Van Sant. On wooden steps. You're like, this man is going to topple over. <laughs> He's too big for this building. <laughs> 
for Gus Van Sant, it was an almost shot-for-shot remake of Alfred Hitchcock's (sighs) 1960 classic Psycho, because that's what the people were clamoring for after having spent the last year watching Titanic, Goodwill Hunting, and As Good As It Gets. Well, to be fair, and I don't like being fair to men, (laughs) but to be fair to Gus Van Sant, they had just made, or recently before Psycho, they had remade Dowell M for Murder with A Perfect Murder with Michael Douglas and Gwyneth Paltrow. And that was honest, but that was honestly updated in like the right way, kind of the way yes. that House of Wax was updated in the correct yes. way. What I will yes. never and can't get my mind wrapped around is the shot for shot remake of it. Like, why? Yes. yes. And we're going to get into that. But it is just what I think this is where we you kind of think about like what what makes a remake a good remake versus just being, like you said, a shot for shot remake down to the exact camera angles. I mean, Gus Van Sant had a DVD of the 1960 Psycho playing as he was filming so that he could get everything down to a T, even the film mistakes. So if there was like a key that didn't open a door, but then the door opened, he did that regardless of it being incorrect and being a, a, a mistake. Like it it was to that point. This is like a film school nightmare. Oh yes, it certainly is. Released in 1998, Psycho was directed and produced by Van Sant. As I mentioned earlier, he had just directed Goodwill Hunting, his first big studio production to generate an insane amount of box office revenue. Prior to that, he had directed Drugstore Cowboy, My Own Private Idaho, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, and one of your favorites, To Die For, which is a good movie. It's his best movie, I'm sorry to say. I don't like Goodwill Hunting. I apologize to those who do. I do, but I get it. It's the best. (laughs) Unfortunately, when we were like flipping through his filmography, trying to find something to like top either of those movies, it's like he picks things that have like an an inherently interesting subject matter, but then when you watch the execution of it, you're like, this is so goddamn boring. I don't you did like the least interesting stuff. And I feel like Psycho has like a, a a little bit of a kernel of him doing like the least interesting thing possible. Completely, completely. Brian Grazer was the other producer on this film, best known for being at the helm of Imagine Entertainment, the production company that he had started with Ron Howard, who, by the way, he's been partnering with for like 40 plus years at this point. Um, I have a greatest hits list that I'm going to roll off here because uh, one, I want to stress that everyone has flops. And two, we love a good list on this pod. So he does with Ron Howard splash. He then produces Real Genius, Armed and Dangerous, Parenthood, Kindergarten Cop, My Girl 1 and 2, House Sitter, Boomerang, Apollo 13, Fear, which we love to talk about on this podcast, (laughs) The Nutty Professor, Ransom, Liar, Liar, and then Mercury Rising. And then this is what he comes up with after Mercury Rising. As for a writer, the only writing credit is for Joseph Stefano as the as in the writer of the original 1960 script because that's how fucking close the 1998 movie script is to the source material. The movie starred Vince Vaughn, Anne Hayes, Julianne Moore, Viggo Mortensen, and William H. Macy. There are other people, but that's kind of the main cast. Wait, didn't they... I thought I had read that Gus Van Sant also brought back in Joseph Stefano to do the minor yes, tweaks and yes, updates yes, yes, to make yes. it modern, which I was like, yes. this is fucking insane yes. and so yes. dumb and weird. Yes. yes, there is no. So no one else touched the script other than Joseph the, Stefano. Yeah, the original screenwriting. The original screenwriting. 
I'm I'm also like, how old is this man at this point? (laughs) I mean, if in 1960, he was an adult man writing this, and I'm going to just check right now because I've got a I've got a Wikipedia page in front of me. Yeah, let's say like late 30s, early 40s. So he was born in 1922, which means that he was 38 when Psycho came out. Which means that by the time 1998 rolls around, that makes him, he's in his 70s. Yeah, I can't tell if I would be like elated to do it or if I would just be like, what the fuck is this idiot doing? I just I don't. I would, oh, I would, to be a fly in the wall when he like be, received that bizarre fucking phone call. Mr. Stefano. <laughs> yeah. If, may I call you that? May I call you that? May I call you that? Um, So unlike most remakes, which might reference the original source material or carry over certain script lines here and there, like you said earlier, Shot for Shot was filmed to look like the original and used almost every line from the original script. Main differences here are that the film was shot in color, obviously used a very different cast, and was set in the 90s, which is where you'll see a few lines in the script change, such as amounts of money. So like uh, the money that Marion Crane kind of runs off with is $400,000 versus $40,000 in the original. They Um, really need to bring the original screenwriter back to do some basic math. (laughs) Do some basic math that yours truly, as we all know on this podcast, very (laughs) capable of doing. Very capable of inflation numbers, baby. (laughs) Psycho itself was an adaptation of Robert Block's 1959 novel of the same name. I'm not going to explain the plot because you should all see the original movie and make sure you catch that signature Hitchcock wearing a cowboy hat cameo at the beginning outside of Marion Crane's office. Um, and then also note, by the way, that Marion's annoying co-worker is played by none other than Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, Pat Hitchcock, who actually passed away at 93 this past August. Oh, By the way, you may see in this remake that Alfred Hitchcock, there's again the Hitchcock cameo at the beginning, but with Gus Van Sant. So they got some stand-in uh. who looks like... <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock talking in a cowboy hat to Gus Van Sant. No, I know. I hate it all. Said in Kristen Bell's voice, this is the bad place. I am so upset by this news. I completely missed that. I wrote in my notes, this whole movie is one cinematic circle jerk. What's eerie about this? An incredibly astute review and succinct. What's eerie about this is I don't think people would have had an issue with Van Sant making a remake of Psycho, but he copied the exact camera movements and edits. He uses the same opening credits that Saul Bass designed, also used the same Bernard Herrmann score, but with, of course, a Danny Helfman and Steve Bartek rearrangement because this is, after all, Gus Van Sant. He likes to use all the same people. There are some other changes that I want to point out, too. So, You have this opening shot with Sam and Marion in the hotel room where they've just had sex. You can hear a couple having loud sex in a room nearby, which is very different from the 1960s version because of moral codes and all. And you get to see Viggo Mortensen's butt in this movie, (laughs) which no Uh, one asked for. (laughs) You're also going to see things be a lot gorier than in 1960 because, again, no moral codes. And by the time 1998 rolls around, Gus Van Sant's like, if I want this to make any money, I got to show blood. Um, So you see a lot, for instance, in like the iconic bathroom scene, 
You see a lot more blood used in the scene. And then you also see Anne Heche's butt, which apparently Janet Lee's butt was cut out of the original 1960 version, which I didn't know. But they just make sure to make everything much more kind of gratuitous from a uh, gore standpoint in this movie. Van Sant made a lot of these changes to, quote, make it kind of more accessible to a modern audience. You'll also see some different acting choices, mainly with Vince Vaughn and Julianne Moore's characters. I'm going to let you get into some casting stuff before I bring it back to my production notes, because I think this is a good segue point. Yeah, well, I think so, because for better or worse, Psycho is probably (laughs) infamous for its casting. The biggest and longest lasting criticism of this movie is Vince Vaughn's tragic role as Norman Bates. More on that in a second, though. But on paper, this cast for 1998 makes total sense. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, especially when you take out the whole Psycho remake part of it. So you have Vince Vaughn, Anne Heche, William H. Macy, Viggo Morrison, and Julianne Moore, all late 90s heavy hitters coming off of big projects. And yet, it never really quite gels or comes together the way that Completely. you would have hoped. Completely. Maybe if they were new characters in original movies, the performances might work. I tend to think the only person's performance that works is Julianne Moore, but we can talk about that in a bit. Considering how similar the rest of the film tries to be like Hitchcock, the differences always stand out in a really bad way. (laughs) And that comes down to the casting. (laughs) Casting director Howard Fewer, who passed away in 2004, unfortunately. So there are no oral histories in which I can quote him in behind, I don't know, some of the thinking of going after some of these larger named actors, other than I'm sure the studio must have had something to do with it. He was a legendary casting director who had worked with Gus Van Sant on To Die For, and his other credits include, and this is a short list because he has a lot of credits, Moonstruck, Groundhog's Day, Single White Female, Annie, Truman Show, That Thing You Do, and that's just like a handful that I just grabbed. Psycho would be the second time Anne Heche and Vince Vaughn would be cast opposite of each other after their international legal drama slash moral dilemma movie, Return to Paradise. So I break Mm. these down sort of like by character. So let's start with the biggest person in the room, Vince Vaughn, a.k.a. Norman Bates. Vaughn was sort of better known at this point for having more range than we've come to know him to have from like, you know, Wedding Crasher and Old School. But he still had his work cut out for him, obviously, as Norman Bates, a role made famous by Anthony Perkins. Already, Vaughn, being three inches taller than Perkins, immediately makes him into a creepy Quasimodo from Jump versus, like, the unassuming nice man <laughs> trope that, per- that Perkins files into so nicely. I mean, truly a lumbering presence. I cannot stress that enough. And I looked what up the What a tall difference. man. Yes, he's 6'5". Oh, he's fucking huge. And he's, like, a burly, like, Midwestern, like, slightly Republican 6'5". <laughs> well, I mean, now, because this is, you know, we're, oh, we're yes. thinking yes, about yes, yes, him yes. in 1998 terms, which, like, his film choices around this time were more varied and sometimes darker. Besides his breakout performance in Swingers and a supporting role in The Lost World Jurassic Park, earlier in 1998, he appeared as a serial killer in Clay Pigeons, but... Vaughn's murderous character in that movie is extremely on the opposite end of Norman Bates. He's obviously a serial killer. Norman Bates has, you know, more subtlety and complexity to him. Tobey Maguire, Christian Bale, and Joaquin Phoenix were all considered for the role as Bates, but Bale would go on to star in American Psycho instead. Post-Psycho, Vince Vaughn would get put in like a temp-holding cell for actor jail and only would do like an episode of Sex and City here, a small role in the cell there, and his next big break wouldn't come till 2003's Old School. Anne Heche as Marion Crane 
Well, the original role, as you may or may not know, was made iconic by Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, Janet Lee. And I bring that up because very recently at the Halloween Kills premiere, she dressed up, Jamie Lee Curtis did, as her mom yeah. in Psycho. Janet Lee's Marion, though, had a sort of old, old school Hollywood glamour that read her as clearly out of Norman's League, as well as a little bit smarter and more resourceful than your average blonde broad. But in 98's Psycho, Haitia's Marion kind of comes off more sexual. And I'm not sure if that's anything that she's necessarily doing in terms of choices. But I think what really kind of makes it feel that way is the scene that one of the few scenes that does deviate from the original Psycho. And it has Vince Vaughn like spying on her and jerking off to her. And that could that was obviously part of like uh, 1960s film cover. You couldn't really do that. And so they thought it would be like edgy to do it here. But even just in general... Anne Heche's character also comes off as, like, overall, like, not as good as at covering up her tracks or isn't very, like, thoughtful or forward-thinking, like, or in terms of, like, making a plan. But Heche fared better in the initial reception and the over-the-year evaluate over-the-years re-evaluations of the movie, probably because she's a better actor than Vaughn. But, you know, now we said it. The fact that she, and not, say, Vaughn, though, got a Razzie nomination for her performance in Psycho is sadly an emblematic of the public's perception and reception of her at the time. Despite all that, her 1996-1997 run includes some other hits like Walking and Talking, Donnie Brasco, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Six Days, Seven Nights, and Wag the Doll. Dog, not doll. (laughs) Also, her relationship with Ellen at this time when Psycho was released was a huge source of attention for her, for better or worse. Nicole Kidman and Laura Linney were originally offered the role, but they both turned it down. Hayes had never seen Alfred Hitchcock's original Psycho before being cast as Marion, which is just like... I like how, how, how do you do that? But it does remind me of the time that KML picked a head writer who to head write a Hitchcock inspired sketch show who had never seen any Hitchcock movies. I was like, that's what? That's fully a choice, but okay. Choices. 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 Julianne Moore as Lila Crane was fresh. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com off of her first Oscar nomination for Boogie Nights, and she plays her sister. Beyond Boogie Nights, though, she was previously had appeared in Lost World Jurassic Park with Vince Vaughn, and Big Lebowski would luckily come out right before this to cushion the blow uh, if there were to be any on to her. Her performance, to me, works the best because mm-hmm. not only is she an insanely talented actress who's been in a lot of great movies, but because she's the only person whose portrayal of the original character is actually different than in the classic. Yeah, she's not trying to be Vera Miles, which is very key. Exactly. She makes Lila a little bit more aggressive. And for me, I think it worked for like a modern quote unquote retelling. Viggo Mortensen as Sam Loomis basically got his start in two back to back Hitchcock remakes. First, he played Gwyneth Paltrow's side piece in A Perfect Murder, the remake of Dial in for Murder. And actually, 
of the two remakes, the better one. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to play a boyfriend in this remake. Sam Loomis is Marion's boyfriend who has a lot of debts, hence why she steals money and goes on the run. He accompanies Lila to the Bates Hotel to figure out what happened to his girlfriend. William H. Macy as Milton Arbogast. Two years after his breakout role in Fargo, he plays this private detective who is hired to help locate Marion after she disappears. He also gives a great performance, but he doesn't get used a lot. He's not in a ton of scenes, but when he is there... He kind of does a good, like, dope. Well, Hitchcock famously didn't have any respect for cops or detectives, but he so he plays like the dopey, but then figures it out, like, kind of on the line. And I think it works really well. He also previously worked with Julianne Moore in Benny and the June and Boogie Nights. Yes. No, I was just going to say, I think he's very, he clearly is doing this as like an homage to Martin Balsam, who plays Arbogast in that role. Um, who's like, you know, very specific, like great character actor of the time and all that. But yeah, it's interesting because like he for for how nuanced William H. Macy's performances are in other films, like it's it's interesting to see someone be like so dead on to being that close to the original's portrayal. I, yeah, I, I mean, I honestly don't remember too much. You are have a fresher portrait of this in your mind. So I'm just going to go ahead and agree with you. <laughs> and then to just round up the cast real quick, Robert Forrester is in this as Dr. Simon Richmond, named after the actor who originated the role. It doesn't get more in 1998 than legendary that guy actor, Robert Forrester, RIP, <laughs> as a forensic psychiatrist who helps explain Norman Bates's psychology after his arrest. And this is hot off of his role as Max Cherry in, Jack- in Jackie Brown. So that's another interesting choice. But he is one of the few actors who, like, defends this movie and is like, oh, well, he was just trying to do something different. I'm like, was he? But I mean, I appreciate his dedication to the craft. That's all I have for casting. So I'm glad you brought that all up because I think my biggest, as we talked about, the biggest one that everyone has is, like, Vince Vaughn. I mean, for me, it's like, you're who is watching swingers and thinking that guy that guy is norman bates it's not toby mcguire that's it's funny when you're listing off the people who had been considered they were all people who would have been on my short list in 1998 to play norman bates like throw in crispin glover and then like you've got the list i mean he might be a little old for that but like you know it would have worked um this for me is just one of those movies that just gets Weirder and weirder the more I read about this, because apparently it wasn't very clear that this was supposed to be a shot for shot remake, um, yet also set in 1998. Uh, (laughs) It was kind of just said, oh, yeah, this is a shot for shot remake. And so naturally, the costumer costume designer Beatrix Aruna Pastor thought, oh, yes, because this is a shot for shot remake, this is going to be set in the 60s. And that is why everybody is wearing period clothing in this movie, despite being set in 1998. And even at one point, you have Anne Heche with a parasol at the used car dealership. It just gets weird. Baffling choices. Baffling choices. I mean, it kind of works because the 90s had a 60s revival, but it was much more like mid to late 60s because of Austin Powers. Regardless, Van Sant, as I mentioned earlier, had this DVD of the 1960 movie on set to literally shoot this thing shot for shot. Everything I've just mentioned and that you've just mentioned can be uh, best summed up in Van Sant's response when asked why he did a shot for shot full color remake of Psycho. He said, quote, so no one else would have to. Was somebody trying? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. This man. 
this man, the audacity, the caucasity, like all of it. Um, this felt like someone's final project at USC film school down to the extensive budget since you need to have rich parents to go there. Ultimately, the movie would go on to make $37 million against a $60 million budget, which is still very high in my book, even if it didn't break even. It got critically panned and was nominated for three Razzies, winning awards for Worst Remake and Worst Director, and as you mentioned earlier, was nominated for Worst Actress with Anne Heche. It is regarded as probably maybe not the worst remake of all time, but certainly up there. And that's really all I have to say about Psycho. Shall we move on to its superior remake cousin, House of Wax? Absolutely. Released in May of 2005, this is directed by Wame Colette Serra of Orphan fucking Jungle Cruise, which I hated, <laughs> and upcoming The Rock Marvel venture Black Adam, which I was honestly the most taken aback by. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I can't believe he's directing that. This was also written by Charles Belden, Chad Hayes, and Carrie Hayes, based on a story by Belden. The Spanish-American director in 2005 was given the opportunity to direct his first feature by producer Joel Silver of The Matrix, Joel Silver. It's a loose remake of the 1953 film of the same name, itself a remake of the 1933 film Mystery of the Wax Museum. And there are lots of homages to the Wax Museum uh, within this movie that also kind of keep it within the original time period, which I appreciate, without trying to oversell it. The film stars... Elisha Cuthbert, Chad Michael Murray, Brian Van Holt in a dual role, Paris Hilton, Jared Padalecki, John Abrams, and Robert Richard. House of Wax, for those who are unfamiliar with the story, centers on Carly Cuthbert, who travels with her brother Nick, Chad Michael Murray, her best friend, Paige, Paris Hilton, Paige's boyfriend, Blake, and Nick's friend, Dalton, on a road trip to a football game in Louisiana. After a series of events leading to a car's broken fan belt, the group ends up in the ghostly empty town of Ambrose. There, they face a terror after terror as two dysfunctional brothers, Bo and Lester, well, Vincent, both played by Van Holt, attempt to kill them and turn them into wax figures. House of Wax premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival of all fucking places, and, <laughs> and despite its 27% Rotten Tomato score, grossed $70 million worldwide. The biggest reveal for me is that this seemingly coded southern town that of Ambrose was actually shot on a Warner Brothers movie lot in Australia. The town yes. was actually constructed a few miles down off the road of Hollandale in the Guananaba area. I have never been to Australia, so that's why I'm saying it like that, because I don't know what I'm saying. During Shout out to our Aussie fans. Yes, all 48 of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> During production... Uh, on the Warner Brothers set, though, in Australia, it caught fire. The fire then brought on like a $7 million lawsuit by the special effects people for not having firefighters standing by. And this is why the IATCE wants some more safe conditions. Because who wants, solidarity, baby. who wants negligence? Anyway, the fire's supposed culprit, though, was a candle, which if you've seen this movie is an eerie, ironic coincidence. Some fun things that I found out in my because there is no real like conclusive like here's the making of House of Wax. Everything yeah. that I found was like cobbled together pull quotes from like the DVD commentary, which like I don't even I would have no way to watch a DVD. So I don't know how that would work. But <laughs> from the DVD commentary, 
I found out that the film used a mixture of peanut butter in wax for scenes featuring like melting wax, specifically the bed scene in the museum where Cuthbert's character and Chad Michael Murray's character try to escape the melting building. And in the behind the scenes commentary, Cuthbert and Murray talk about how difficult it was to shoot that scene over and over again because to I mean getting out of peanut butter and wax I imagine feels like fucking quicksand and it just looks so gross too there's a great gift though of Brian Van Holt's character with his little plastic mask like peeling through the peanut butter and wax to like come and murder them that I still really like and find (laughs) to be like a funny insane stupid perfect horror movie moment um, because Eliza Cuthbert is actually so short, though, and significantly shorter than her on-screen boyfriend, Jared Padalecki, in this movie, well, you wouldn't notice it if you watched it because she looks to be, you know, not 5'2 or however short she is. But that's because they taped wooden blocks to the bottom of her shoes so she could appear taller. Speaking of other torturous things that they put her through, they also actually glued her lips together in the scene where one of the Psycho Brothers kidnaps her and glues her mouth shut so she won't scream instead of putting duct tape over it. Albeit it is a water-soluble glue and not super glue, that's still some committed method acting that I would request to kindly opt out of. But speaking of good sports... Paris, the film's first cast member, so much so that the cast was built around her being cast first, gave Warner Brothers the thumbs up to use the tagline, on May 6th, see Paris Hilton die, to sell tickets. It actually ended up becoming so popular that Hilton had to also give them permission to use the tagline to sell t-shirts before the film's release. They I hope also, she got residuals. Get cash. The, I mean, she's a shrewd businesswoman, she if is. anything. You know she got those residues. Mm-hmm. They also seemingly borrow heavily slash acknowledge frequently how Paris got famous, quote unquote, between Chad Michael Murray's friend who creepily tapes everybody throughout their little camping adventure to her dying immediately after seducing her boyfriend, who she is also trying to break the news to that she might be pregnant. Now, for the part that everybody probably remembers House of Wax for the most, I personally always found it hard to believe that Chad Michael Murray and Paris Hilton had an affair because they have zero on-screen chemistry. Other than Paris's big death scene, the second biggest thing House of Wax is known for is them apparently breaking <laughs> up Chad Michael Murray and Sophia Bush and Paris Hilton and Nick Carter, respectively. <laughs> Chad Michael Murray and Sophia Bush tied the knot in front of 200 guests in Santa Monica's uh, Casa Del Mar in April 2005. But then five months later... Bush and Murray separated. Actually, Sophia Bush filed an annulment citing the old citing the old Renee Zellweger favorite fraud when she divorced him. <laughs> to add further fuel to this fire, though, Backstreet Boy Nick Carter, who was dating Hilton while she was filming this, appeared on an episode of the Tire Bank show to openly talk about the allegations, which were brought to light by his younger brother, Aaron, who was just a messy, messy <laughs> bitch on House of Carters. And basically was like, yeah, she cheated on me with Chad Michael Murray. That's all you fucking broke Do you were, I I vividly remember that episode. We were both texting about this earlier. We both watched definitely the first few and kind of dropped off. But that episode, I vividly remember. Like I said, I love it when research leads me to a clip from House of Carters. <laughs> <laughs> To end things on a high note, though, this movie is the be- is on the better end of the fun horror remakes of the mid-2000s because there were a lot like Amityville Horror, uh, The Omen, House on Haunted Hill, Bloody Valentine. And some of them can be fun. Some of them can be boring. But this is like on the fun and has like a really good kills side and has some like good suspense and jump scares, even as somebody who'd seen it 
multiple times before. There are still some parts where I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like really gruesome. I mean, especially the way Paris dies. But the wax face brother has a thing for like snipping the like Achilles tendons of his victims, which is just like such a gross little like creepy <laughs> thing that I ugh, just like gets under your skin. Anyway, it's streaming to HBO currently, and Paris really isn't that bad in it. And Cuthbert gives a really good performance and makes a great final girl, and I don't know why she didn't have a bigger career in horror. Although I love her on Happy Endings, but that's all I have for the making of House of Wax. It's a little disjointed all over the place, but I don't think this movie kind of gets the respect it deserves. Maybe the cast does individually, but as a collective whole, the 27% is really sending me. I would agree. And what's interesting to me is like, uh, you you bring up Elisha Cuthbert. I think that she is cr- like criminally underused as oh, an yeah. actor in general, as a comedic actress and as a horror actress. Like she, she is very much underused. As you mentioned, there wasn't too much behind the scenes oral history. It's really all from like MTV specials or like DVD commentary. That I kind of pieced my notes together, but I kind of got to, in terms of casting, where everyone kind of was in their career at this point, because really the main four in this movie are kind of peak, like mid-2000s actors. Like they just are both like very peak careers. This is what these two movies have the most in common is like they're a perfect time capsule of the like the people that were going to go places and be these leading people. Like it reminds me of like all of the capital put behind like Taylor Kitsch. It's like, this is a perfect encapsulation of a 2005, like teen horror movie. Completely. And so you find this, you know, as I was doing this research, the only kind of interesting tidbits I found around general casting were one, what you said earlier about the cast being rounded out based on Paris Hilton, who was the first cast. And the second thing, I don't know who is updating the trivia on this movie's IMDb page, but apparently, <laughs> apparently according to IMDb's trivia section for House of Wax, Jennifer Connolly and Kate Winslet both turned down the role of Paige which I'm going to call bluff, like bluff, bluff, bluff. Like that I cannot believe. Impossible to me. Impossible as, from a prestige and age standpoint. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I don't buy that either. There is, like I said, a snapshot of some big names in 2015 world. I mean, they managed to get two of Rory Gilmore's love interests from Gilmore Girls to star in this movie. <laughs> Nick Jones, played by Chad Michael Murray. This is peak CMM. We've got a minor stint on Gilmore Girls as Tristan that led him to being cast as Lucas on One Tree Hill, then a turn as Hilary Duff's Prince Charming in a Cinderella story. I mean, Chad Michael Murray was everywhere at this point. You have his sister, Carly Jones, played by Elisha Cuthbert, who was in the midst of playing Jack Bauer's daughter, Kim Bauer, on 24. She had just starred in The Girl Next Door and was one of the hot, quote-unquote, American girls in Love Actually, which is funny because she is actually Canadian, I want to point out. She was also in Old School, which I completely forgot about. Um, oh, so we have a, right. Yes, yes, yes. Two Old School connections in this yeah. episode. I will say this about Alicia Cuthbert. She is a great comedic actress, Goddamn delight on Happy Endings. It is too bad that her next successful role after Happy Endings was that awful Netflix show, The Ranch, because one, fuck Danny Masterson, but two, like, 
critically underused, like criminally underused. Anyway, let's get into the friends, uh, which, by the way, another comment on the IMDb page in the trivia section was that people felt like Chad Michael Murray and Alicia Cuthbert or sorry, Alicia Cuthbert had better chemistry than uh, Cuthbert and Jared Padalecki. And they thought like they should have cast uh, Nick Jones with Jared with um, Jared and then Chad Michael Murray as the boyfriend like Again, chaotic IMDb trivia page. I don't know who's editing it, but... I do kind of agree, though, because even in this yes. rewatch, I was like, oh, yeah, they're brother and sister who are horny for each other. I it don't know. It feels like that Folgers commercial where, like, the brother comes back and the sister's like, you're my present. I don't know if you know this commercial, but there's, that like, That sounds weird... vaguely familiar, but yes, honestly, yes. all I'm thinking about because of just the times is the Lula Rich documentary where they're like, isn't it wild that our biological child and, like, the and an adopted child got married? Oh, my God. Like, that's the I know. Getting. <laughs> oh god i found myself being like stefan from snl when i was thinking about that docuseries like this has everything incest mexican weight loss surgery <laughs> <laughs> oh god um in terms of the friends we have carly's boyfriend wade played by Derek padaladecki who had just been in the olsen twin classic new york minute and had just ended his time starring as dean on gilmore girls the role that first made him famous Fun fact about him, he got to start winning Fox's 1999 Claim to Fame contest, which won him a Teen Choice Awards appearance. That's how he met his first agent. He was a Teen Choice Awards model. The same year he stars in House of Wax, he begins his 15-year stint playing Sam Winchester on the CW fan fiction juggernaut Supernatural. I forgot that show lasted for 15 years until I did this research. Absolutely wild absolutely wild people love it Paige was played by paris hilton i mean it's paris hilton she was everywhere in 2005 in terms of acting this was not her first gig she had just starred on a few shows as both herself and as random characters including a popular girl in one of the first episodes of veronica mars and then she had been on the oc she had been in win a date with todd hamilton the cat in the hat raising helen and of course she had just starred a couple of years ago on the simple life with nicole ritchie so this is again peak paris hilton Dalton is played by John Abrahams uh, prior to House of Wax. He was best known probably for playing um, Bobby Prince in Scary Movie, who's supposed to be the parody of the Billy Loomis character, who's like Skeet Ulrich's character in Scream. And then the stoner little brother in Meet the Parents. And then Blake, Paris Hilton's boyfriend in this movie, played by Robert Richard or Robert Richard, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, is probably best known at that point for starring as Arnaz Ballard on One on One, as well as starring in the Nickelodeon show Cousin Skeeter, where he has to play opposite, opposite a puppet, and the Disney Channel original movie Alley Cat Strike, where he's the jock who is forced to join bowling club. In terms of where Brian Van Holt was within his career, he had done minor appearances on several shows at that point, including 90210, Sex in the City, and Homicide Life on the Street. He's probably best known for his main role on Cougar Town, which came right after House of Wax, where he played Courtney Cox's ex-husband. That's really all I have on casting. It was, again, the behind the scenes of it all was very weird. There was just not a good oral history piece. But as we've said many times before, like when it comes to 1999 VMAs, when it comes to House of Wax, the two of us are here. Vulture, hire us. I mean, anybody, really. Anybody who really? has budget to like <laughs> to give us that once more in-depth House of Wax. Like, we'll get on the horn. Like, we'll host a Comic-Con panel or, you know, just any sort this. of fan con panel. 
you know, we have lots of experience. We're happy to. But We're always happy to. We can't make things happen alone. <laughs> we cannot make things happen alone. It takes you, a patron, to support us. <laughs> what a wonderful <laughs> way to get that spawn in there, Emily. I'm proud. Bachelor contestants wish. Um <laughs> Before before we end for today, do you have any final thoughts on the two movies we talked about? I would recommend, you know, if you're looking for something that's bad and funny to watch on Halloween this year, both of these are probably a good choice. Like, you'll get a good laugh out of Psycho. Like, it's pretty painful, but the end is really a payoff. Kind of like Malignant. <laughs> Not to always bring it back around. I swear. <laughs> I will drop my Malignant stand um, as soon as October's over. But in the sense that, like, the twist, so to speak, even though you might know what it is, when you see it, you can't unsee it and you also can't stop laughing. And also House of Wax <laughs> is just like a pretty solid remake. So neither of these will be a wrong choice for like a bad movie night or like a Halloween not so scary watch. I would agree. I think that House of Wax, if released in 2021, would have a much more fun like niche versus just getting made fun of because it was the horror movie that featured Paris Hilton, who, by the way, is not bad in this film. So I really can't. I mean, even in look, this is also a controversial opinion. She's also not that bad in a horrible movie called The Hottie and the Naughty. Like, it's not her fault that it's like a <laughs> shittily written movie, but she's not that bad of an actress, especially when you kind of compare it to like Psycho where you have all these heavyweights that are supposed to be, you know, nominated and stuff like they don't kind of have the the sort of um they're not outside of themselves enough to make fun of themselves in the way that like Paris Hilton has like made an entire career out of, you know, and I think that she understands the assignment. She knows she's not going to fucking Juilliard, but she doesn't care. I no. think the most important thing is like she's not the main character. She's like a great sidekick to Cuthbert in it. Exactly. I would 100% agree. Justice for this movie, justice for Paris, and justice for Elisha, who I hope oh. we see in more things. Did you see that the uh, Paris in Love show that's going to be on Peacock? They just released the trailer. That could be another fun <gasps> well, thing I'll be to watching watch. that tonight because I have free Peacock, baby. It's the trailer. I don't think it comes out till November. That's true. Um, but still, I will be watching it later because I have free Peacock, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the above statement still stands. It still stands. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for listening to our podcast. If you like what you've heard, you can check out our other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible, really wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. The best way to stay up to date on our latest episodes is to subscribe to our pod. And while you're at it, hitting that subscribe button, maybe leave us a rating and a review. Additionally, we are on social media. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And you can now find us on Patreon at where we are, Old Millennials Pod. And then you, finally, you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Emily A. Bejan. And I am at Mark Shiro. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye.